Welcome to Cinema Scene on Gardner Webb University Radio, WGWG.org. We appreciate you taking the time to spend with us talking movies and listen to us jabber on about life and, and what we do and don't like and why we do or don't like it. Adam Long over there, Noel Manning over here, and uh, we do encourage you, if you haven't, uh, download the WGWG app uh, for the uh, for any of your mobile devices, whether you've got an Android or an Apple device, you can download that. Just uh, go to your store for free and download the WGWG app. Listen to us anytime. Uh, you can find us, of course, WGWG.org. And if you go to SoundCloud, you can uh, find on-demand programming, and you can also find our archives on iTunes. So, Adam, there's no excuse, right? None at all. That's right. None at all. Yeah, people can find us anytime, anywhere that they want to. Uh, man, it is uh, it is the end of the year, and uh, the next uh, few weeks we're definitely going to be talking about some of our best uh, of the year. We've already talked about some of those in the past few weeks, um, you know, talking about uh, the movie Wild, Whiplash, uh, Birdman, um, and quite a few others. And uh, as the uh, awards are starting to be handed out and the nominations are starting to go out, we're going to be talking a whole lot more about that uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, I think probably starting next week we might be start uh, talking some of that. If we don't, we may take a week off next week, but uh, definitely once we get back into uh, that first full week of January, we'll be talking awards, uh, that is for sure. Uh, man, anything going on in your life right now you want to talk about before we uh, dive in and talk about some movies that are in theaters? Oh, nothing nothing out of the ordinary I don't, right. uh, that I'm aware of. All right. Well, uh, what about uh, any any movie news worthy of, of talking about uh, that's, uh, that's still out there? Other than Sony still trying to survive because uh, people hacked their system and uh, evidently seem to have gotten everything they wanted out of them, including... Uh, scripts that they've released and uh, even some of their films yeah yeah that's been really interesting hasn't it uh and and of course well well there has been some fallout from this a little bit you know there was some uh of course uh amy pascal one of the executives in charge at sony and uh, she she was um the, there were some memos leaked where they were kind of uh, making fun of obama's um choice of films or movies that he might be interested in and uh, you know, it kind of had some racist uh, undertones or overtones or something. You know, they had to come out and uh, swallow a couple of mea culpas. Right, uh, for, right. For that yeah. one. So uh, do the mea culpa dance, I guess you'd say. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. But I think one of the more uh, one of the other interesting things that came out of this was that, uh, and I just read this today um, as we're taping this, that... Uh, Andrew Garfield apparently has been fired from the uh, Spider-Man uh, franchise. There's, it's it's done. The Andrew Garfield Spider-Man thing, experiment, whatever you want to call it, is over. And, um, you know, we speculated about that a while back because they're saying now they, they weren't going to do any more Spider-Mans until, like, 2017 or 2018 or something like that. And, and you know, I think it's kind of silly in a way for them to just pull the plug on this i mean after they've hyped it up so much and then you know just kind of and i hear they're thinking about another root uh, yet another reboot that's yeah. what i'm hearing yeah yeah I, and, I, uh, I i'm tired of it i'm tired of the reboot I, I think the uh you know the last one um i think you and i both felt the same way that the last one kind of went the same route that um the uh you know the toby mcguire Spider-Man Three went uh, yeah, way, way right. too way too many things going on. They, they, it lacked its focus. 
that was one of the things that I had an issue with. It just kind of lacked its focus. Yeah. And now, if, you, if, if, the, if it turns out there isn't a third one, what is the what is the purpose for Paul Giamatti to even be in there? Absolutely, because yeah. you know the whole thing was a setup for a third film, which yep. apparently is not going to take is not going to transpire. So I'm thinking to myself, what is the point of going to all that trouble to shoehorn Paul Giamatti into the proceedings right, right. when they're not even going to use him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just the whole thing is just ridiculous. It, I mean, you know. When when it was released, I thought, well, okay, I'll give him a little credit. They're setting you up for another film, and Giamatti's going to have a lead role. And, you know, because he was hyped as being Rhino, they were hyping it for a, a year in advance. Paul Giamatti is the cast as the villain as Rhino, and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I was excited. I loved Giamatti. You know, anything he does, he could. He could he could recite the phone book and I'd probably pay for a movie ticket right, to see it. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a yeah. great actor, great presence, and and so I went and I was like, well, where's Giamatti? <laughs> right. And then at the end, he turns up like f- literally five minutes before yeah. the end credits, and you know, or was, I think it was right at the beginning they showed him, and then maybe at the end he came back. I believe that's what it was. Yeah, and yeah. So, it, it it was it was really waste wasted time. Right. Yeah. Wow. And now. Now that we're hearing that that, that there's the rumblings that uh, there won't be another one, it's like, what's the point? (laughs) Why did you even bother? Why didn't you just stick to the Electro, the the villain Electro, played by Jamie Foxx, and that would have been a plenty? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, yeah. So that's what I'm hearing is, and the movie, you know, they're they're making it out like it was this big megaton bomb. And the film didn't do that badly. Oh no, it I mean, made it made thing. a lot of money. Yeah, it made a lot of money, especially when you factor in uh, overseas. It made a ton. It, yeah, it was quite successful. So yeah, if you want to talk about the uh, the, the leaking of the memos uh, at Sony, that's some of the fallout that that's come from this. Is that the, <clears throat> some of the the things that with racist overtones that were said by some of the studio executives, and then this this Spider Man thing, which kind of confirms what we pretty much knew all along yeah yeah but yeah, yeah. Uh, and then to, to hear that they're thinking of rebooting it yet again in 2018 yeah. it's, it's like uh, unbelievable hey adam there was an, another piece we were talking about right before we went on the air uh relating to this guy that we see uh, on tv all the time uh jk simmons uh been in some great tv shows he's on this uh, commercial uh series for uh, american American Farmers Insurance. I see. I, I forget which, but it's one of these farmers insurance commercials. Uh, he's got something going on that we might want to take a look at. We talked about him last week in Whiplash, but there's something else going on as well. Yeah, he's going to be. Um, from what I'm, what we're hearing or reading, rather, uh, is that he's going to play. Um, uh, I guess one of the leads in the Kong reboot. There's a King Kong reboot uh, that we were talking about. Reboots, most of them. I, I, I could just care less about, but this is what I'm actually interested in. is called Skull Kong Skull Island, and J.K. Simmons is joining the cast, and it's supposedly going to tell the the tale of what King Kong was up to before they brought him to New York or whatever. Before you know the the, the film that we've always the, right, the right. story that we've always known, and so they're going to show you what happened before all of that supposedly. And uh, but J.K. Simmons is joining the cast. It'll be released in March of 2017, and. Being such a big fan of King Kong and all things Kong, I, uh, uh, you know, I, that that brings out the kid in me every time they release one of these. So, uh, and it it will have been about twelve years since we've seen a big screen King Kong uh, by the time this this is released, or rather eleven and a little over eleven years because it was two thousand five 
with the Peter Jackson. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious about Kong Skull Island, I have to admit. And, yep. uh, you know, Legendary Pictures is the studio behind this. They are teaming up with Universal. Legendary also owns the Godzilla franchise. They bought out the Godzilla franchise, too. So this leads me to to wonder, are they setting us up for a King Kong versus Godzilla at some point in the future? Hmm. I don't know. I'm just speculating, yeah. and I'm probably way off the, the map here. I don't see how... It could be done because Godzilla is so much taller than King Kong. Absolutely. Yeah, they would, they would definitely have to change some things uh, in order to make that happen, that's for sure. Yeah, but I, I would love to, uh, I would lo- unless, you know, Godzilla gets hit by another blast of radiation and, and starts shrinking or right, something. Right, right. Or, or the same thing happens to, uh, you know, to King Kong, and he starts growing really large. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. He gets a, a huge dose of calcium or something. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. 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 His bones start growing. Oh, man. Anyway. Oh, man. Well, uh, yeah, there are a couple good things there to, to think about. And Tom Hiddleston is also uh, attached to the cast for Skull Island as well, the guy that we yep. know is Loki. That's right. Um, in the uh, Avengers films and the Thor films uh, as well. So that's a that's a pretty heavy hitter there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's unless you have any other news that you think uh, nope. is worthy of sharing, we'll dive into some of these uh, movies that people can check out uh, in theaters uh, going on right now. I'll, I'll start nice. with the uh, the first one that uh, has been around for uh, a couple weeks. Uh, the last in a franchise. Talking about franchise films. Uh, the Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, this is a franchise that's uh, been going on, and Peter Jackson's been connected to Middle Earth, man, for years now. And uh, his whole life uh, has, has been, the past, what, 15 years, feels like has been connected to Middle Earth. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw the Lord of the Rings films, and we saw uh, that final film where he was, uh, you know, finally awarded for just the, the amazing amount of work that he was able to put together. And, and some of the things he did uh, in that particular franchise really set the bar for motion capture um, and, and really actually opened up the door for uh, some of the things that, that James Cameron uh, did as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've seen what that has done to special effects in films. And, you know, we're talking about the King Kong film. Um, you know, the motion capture aspect that we saw in Planet of the Apes films. Uh, you know, Andy Serkis is just amazing, who is the kind of the the actor behind the motion capture. He was also in the uh, Gollum uh, in the, um, the Lord of the Rings films and even the first two Hobbit films. So, um, you know, Jackson is a, is a brilliant guy who really can play with the fantasy landscape. And he's found a way to do that and uh, to take uh, the smallest book in this whole um, Tolkien um, series and turn it into three films. Uh, you know, I was like, I was very skeptical. And I will say that, um, you know, the first two films, I felt there were things that were definitely stretched out. Now, let me say this third film uh, in this franchise that is the end of the beginning, uh, we should say, it does it well. Um, it's, it's an epic battle movie. That's what this is from, from really start to finish. Uh, there is, uh, definitely themes that relate to, um, the, the power of greed, um, you know, the power of, uh, of, of self service and, uh, selfishness, um, you know, self above others and all those things play into it. Um, as, as those things kind of play out in a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of films, especially fantasy films. Um, 
But this film works. I mean, it is a fitting conclusion to the beginning. And what I say, fitting conclusion to the beginning, because this does end uh, and set you up for um, the, the other uh, Lord of the Rings films that, that we watched years ago. So uh, I think Jackson does it well with the costuming, does it well with the special effects in this, uh, does it well with the battle sequences, the fight choreography, uh, the set design. Um, it, is a, it is a good film, and uh, Lord of the Rings fans and fantasy film fans um, will appreciate this. Uh, and I did. I gave this a, a B+. Plus. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, a solid A film, but it was uh, well worth checking out. So uh, The Hobbit uh, is one that I think will do well uh, during uh, this holiday season. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see it, uh, of course. And having seen all the others, uh, the other two, uh, the first one was quite a slog to get through, I must admit. The second one, uh, a little less so, but then it ended on that huge cliffhanger right. with the uh, with the, the dragon make, dragon making his appearance. So I'm curious to uh, to get into this one, but I, I just don't see that there's any reason why three films should have been made out of this very slender book other than to just squeeze every drop of money they can from this franchise. But, but you know, that's the bottom line, Adam. That's what it's about. I mean, for, for yeah. the studios, it is about the money. It's not about the art. It's about the money. And uh, if audiences are going to pay to go see it and they can find ways to make money doing it, they're going to do it. And, uh, the, you know, the one, the one negative that I will throw uh, out there about this film is that if I'm looking at it just as a, a standalone piece – uh, they threw in uh, a couple of characters that were, were there for kind of comic relief, and to me it didn't really work. Um, that was a drawback, and I'm like, you know, this movie was, was the shortest of the three, but uh, they could have cut out that whole, uh, I think, that whole section of it and, and uh, gotten it even a little bit shorter. But, uh, yeah. but, but overall, it's, uh, you know, for, for fans of this franchise and uh, fans that want to see how the, the the beginning wraps up, it's it's worth seeing. It's worth seeing. So that's the yeah, Hobbit. Well, that's uh, the... Hobbit in theaters now. Very good, very good. Well, uh, yeah, I was curious about that. I haven't gotten a chance to check it out, but uh, missed an advanced screening of it two weeks ago. But um, nevertheless, I, I was curious. Well, let's uh, let's hear about uh, Chris Rock's new film. Yeah, top five. Um, definitely uh, a step in the right direction for Chris Rock. Certainly. The, probably the best film he's been involved with in his film career. Uh, is that Does that mean it's a great film? No, it's not a great film, but it's certainly a, a step in the right direction, let's just say. Um, you know, after such lackluster fare as Pootie Tang and Head of State and Death at a Funeral and the Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2s and what have you, I mean, it's nice that he's actually uh, trying to do something of substance here. And... He's obviously inspired by Woody Allen's 1980 film Stardust Memories, which to me is a criminally underrated Woody Allen film. I think it's terrific. A lot of moments of brilliance in that, uh, and he's he's mentioned that he's referenced that film in interviews, and I think that's where he's going with this. But he basically plays a former actor, or a, well, an actor comic like himself, who's basically prostituted his talents out to the series of children's films. He plays this character called Hammy. He's like a bear, and he goes around in a bear suit, and he's made like three Hammy films, and so now he's wanting to do something serious. And so he's wanting to make this. He's bankrolled this slave picture, and he's and it's subtitled and all of that. And so the film revolves around him walking in the streets of New York City 
talking to a New York Times journalist played by Rosario Dawson as she interviews him, and he's trying to promote his his low-budget film. And and, uh, he's also a recovering alcoholic, and he struggles daily with uh, not falling off the wagon. And so there's all that going on, and he manages to work in a lot of great cameo appearances by some really uh, great comics. Uh, You have Adam Sandler in there. You have Jerry Seinfeld. In the film, you have uh, Tracy Morgan. This was before his uh, accident last summer. Uh, so um, there's some really um, some really interesting stuff, um, you know, that uh, is uh, certainly in the film. I mean, there's there are some great there are some great uh, um, gag, uh, some great one-liners, and some 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 good stuff. It's not like I said, not a great film. But it's it's uneven. There are stretches of it where it's too too improvised, and the improvisation doesn't work really as well as I would hope, uh, as they would have probably hoped that it would. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to give it a, a B minus. It's it's uh, if you're looking for a a good Chris Rock film, this is about as close as you're going to get. I would say. Okay, good deal. That's uh, what's the name of that film? Top five. Top yep, five. About that in theaters now. A uh, film that uh, you've been looking forward to for quite a while, man. Uh, you you love Paul Thomas Anderson. A uh, new film called Inherent Vice uh, with uh, with just an incredible cast uh, in this film. Uh, Mr. Phoenix, Josh Brolin, uh, Owen Wilson, uh, Reese Witherspoon uh, also shows up uh, in this film. What is about uh, Anderson that you like so much? Because he's one of, your, one of your all-time favorites, isn't he? Yes, he is. He always has been. Ever since I uh, sat, sat up and took notice with Boogie Nights, um, his his films have um, they just always have had a unique vision. You never quite know where they're going. You never know what to expect. He, uh, he he's a great visual stylist for one thing. He knows where to put the camera. He knows how to 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 be inventive and and, and cleverly use the camera. But his films are always structured in a way that you never know. Something can just come out of left field that you're not expecting. You're, you're always kind of on the edge of your seat to see where he's going to go. Now, lately, I've been kind of disappointed with him, to be honest with you. The Master was a big letdown for me, although I did go back and revisit it a second time, and I enjoyed it much more on a second viewing because I think my expectations had been lowered. Uh, but uh, Inherent Vice I was really excited about because it looked like it would be a melding of you know, I love these 70s cop films, and I love Paul Thomas Anderson, and uh, it's based on a Thomas Pynchon novel, so I, I thought, well, it sounds like a can't-miss project, but I'm hearing mixed mixed things about it, and it sounds like it might be somewhere in the ballpark of The Master. So uh, what, let's hear what you thought. Well, you know, this, uh, this I loved it. Um, I loved it because of its quirky nature. Um, it's not a film that's going to appeal to everyone. Uh, but but the story itself takes place uh, in 1970. So you know you're right in this new decade between um, you're right in the middle of the kind of the the, uh, the Vietnam saga going on. You got the hippies. You got the the holdovers from the flat tops from the you know the 50s and 60s. And uh, it's, it's a drug fueled L.A. Um, detected war is what's going on. I mean you've got. Uh, you you got kidnapped people. You got drugs. You got mayhem. Um, it, it's uh, somebody described it as a surf noir film, and I think that probably fits it quite well. Where a you know a private investigator is uh, is asked to investigate something that's going on with a with a kidnapping, and the deeper he gets into it, 
um, the more questions and answers um, come out. And um, I really appreciated just the quirky nature of it, uh, the unusual aspects of it. And uh, Phoenix, you know, stars as this this you know, private investigator, but he's also um, he's also got some other things going on on the side that I'm not going to share because I don't want to give some of those things away. But um, he's a unique character as well, and uh, and really all the characters are. Um, there's nobody in this film um, from a character standpoint that I would say is um, is flat. They're they're all very there's all something very deep uh, to each of the characters, and uh, the more you get to know them, the more you want to know them. Uh, and some of them you're like, okay, I want to know them more, but I'm afraid to know them more. Josh Brolin does a, a great job. Um, as a uh, as a detective, a police officer who is really um, the guy that seems to cause all the trouble for uh, for Phoenix. Uh, his character is his character's name is uh, is Doc, and um, it, it's worth seeing, man. I, I gave this uh, I gave it an A minus. Uh, it's uh, two hours forty eight minutes. Um, and uh, sorry, an hour and forty eight minutes. So it's uh, it is a long film, but um, it's got some some great visuals. Uh, it's got some great humor or dark humor thrown in that will kind of throw people for a loop, and some people might not realize well, why am I laughing at this. Um, so it's it's my kind of film, um, but just a great cast. I, I liked the style of the story. Um, it's it's unlike uh, any story I've seen in quite a while. So uh, I think that's what grabbed me more than anything. Uh, you know, it kind of starts out almost like these old detective noir films where you you've got this kind of voiceover. Uh, talking in a way that that makes you feel like you're watching something from years and years and years ago. So, uh, I, I I would recommend and hear advice. It's not for everyone. It is an R-rated film, uh, and it's uh, it's a heavy R-rated film in certain areas. So, uh, not one to take the kids to. So, just be aware of that. But uh, this Paul uh, Thomas Anderson film, who he also uh, co-wrote the screenplay uh, for this, is is worth checking out. Can't wait to see it. I'm really excited. Uh, several of the close friends of mine who are uh, in, in film critic related, uh, they have uh, given me given it high marks as well. So I'm I'm very excited about seeing it. I really am. And that's actually short for a Paul Thomas Anderson film, an hour and forty eight minutes. I because uh, with the exception of his first film and Punch Drunk Love, he hasn't turned out a film that was less than two and a half hours. Yeah, and this one is just just shy of two and a half hours. So yeah. 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 So he's he's uh, he's 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 definitely uh, that's that's a short one for him. So so anyway, uh, yeah. So would you say it's better than the master? You think or it's um, I'd say it's different than the master. It's a different, okay, different. it's a different type of film. Um, I, I think they're both the master. The master. I was kind of on the fence. I I, I, I did not watch it a second time. But my first viewing, I think I gave it maybe a C plus. Um, what was your yeah. what was your rating for that? Do you? Re- I gave it. Uh, I think I was like a B minus the first okay. time out, but okay. it's, it's now moved up to about a B plus after okay. second viewing. So, All right, well, I'll, I'll check it out a second time, but, uh, but I think this one, to me, this one's better than the master on first viewing, but at the same time, different than the master. So yeah, I figured it was a different kind of beast. So to speak. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get your thoughts on, um, Annie, which is also in theaters now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you just shared them, man. You just shared it. <laughs> I know I, I wasn't I wasn't super excited about seeing this and 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 the word on the street wasn't strong on it either and I guess when you've got a production team of uh, 
Will and Jada Pinkett Smith and Jay Z, you kind of know where you're going with right, this. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's the story of Annie, but it's it's uh, that we've all come to know. But it's been um, transported to current times, so to speak, and this is all taking place here uh, in in our you know uh, during this uh, this you know the 2014, I suppose. And instead of Daddy Warbucks, you have a guy named Stax, played by Will Stax, played by Jamie Foxx, who's a he's a big uh, mogul because he manufactures cell phones that don't drop a signal or something of that nature. Now he's running for mayor, and so he decides to adopt uh, Annie because it'll look good in his mayoral campaign. And and the rest of the story is pretty much the same thing. You know, Annie's trying to find her parents, and she becomes attached to stacks and he you know doesn't like kids but grows attached to her and and so on and so forth and you instead of in miss hannigan you have uh cameron diaz and uh she's probably the one who has the most uh whose character is the most deeply written because uh she actually explains that she was once uh considered to be a uh, she was once part of the group cnc music factory and she was on to a lucrative career in the early 90s. But right. Things fell off the track, and, and she was a backup singer for Hootie and the Blowfish at one point, as <laughs> well, she tells us. So right, right. that's about as deep as it's going to get for you. There's not really much of an, an opportunity for social commentary here, which would have been nice if they right. dropped in some of that, because yeah. they did attempt that you know, with the play and the film, because the other one was set back in the 40s, you know, where they visit right. the White House right. and all yeah. of that, yeah. you know. And you don't have any of that stuff going on here. It's and all the songs from the original Annie play. Most of them are there, but they they cut them they cut them up and rearranged them. And all of them have hip hop beats. And the, the auto tune is just they're going crazy with the auto tune. It's just so evident here when you see Cameron Diaz singing. It's pretty evident that she's being auto tuned and things like that. And it just a little bit of that goes a long way. And just. I don't know. It's it's directed by Will Gluck, who directed Easy A and Friends with Benefits. He's Easy A is really the best thing he's done. And other than that, there's not a lot on his resume that I'm crazy about either. And I think if he had had a director like, say, Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago, who you know is capable of doing this kind of thing well, uh, it may have been a little bit of a better film. But these, I don't think Will Gluck was a good choice for the director of this film. And anyway, it's not terrible um you know the lead is played by the girl and i can't even pronounce her first name uh, her last name is wallace so i'm never going to try to pronounce her first name but she was the oscar nominee for beast of the southern wild and you know she's capable enough but i i just was just kind of lackluster you know it's 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 not terrible but it's it's just not enough to to really get excited about it's just you, there's just such a a stale feeling to the proceedings, you know, and probably Rose Byrne brings the most energy to the film as she's uh, Will Stack's assistant, Grace, and uh, so you know she. Other than her, she's that's about it. But uh, you know, uh, I'm going to give it a, a, a C. I'll give it a C plus. But uh, that's you know not, nothing okay. really to recommend here. Okay, that's Annie uh, in theaters now. A couple more that we'll mention before we wrap up. Um, big eyes. Uh, Tim Burton back, back on the big screen. With a couple of Academy Award uh, award winners, I think uh, we've got Christoph Waltz who won. Amy Adams also she won an Academy Award as well. Am I right there, or was she just nominated? Uh, I think you're right. Okay, I think you are right. Yeah. So you got a couple of you know stellar talents here in the uh, the acting field uh, doing a biopic um, about uh, Margaret Keene, 
an artist who uh, was very uh, unique in her style of creating faces with big eyes. The name of the movie is Big Eyes. And uh, this was in, uh, takes place during the 60s. And at that time, uh, female artists didn't really have um, a lot going for them. They couldn't really, uh, there were very few that were able to have uh, success. Well, she happens to find this, this guy who is a marketing genius and uh, an expert liar, we should say. And uh, ends up, he ends up taking credit for her work. Uh, they get married and he's, you know, convinces her that, hey, uh, women can't can't make this happen. I can make this happen. I can make us millions of dollars, and they do. They make tons and tons and tons of money uh, until ultimately she realizes that she can no longer, you know, be a prisoner of her own art, and that's what ends up happening. He takes all the credit, and she's literally stuck in a um, uh, an attic closet painting her own work, and even her own daughter is unable to to you know share in that uh, with her mom, and so. Uh, the story is really interesting story, but to me, the performances by both uh, Christoph Waltz and Amy Adams were overperformed. Uh, I was incredibly disappointed by their performances. I just felt that they were just they were overdone. I felt like I was watching performances the entire time, and that took away from something that I thought could have been a, a very, very, very uh, amazing film uh, and an amazing story. The story was still there, but I, I just. Each, each time I saw them on screen, I'm like, okay, I'm just watching a performance. It just did not feel real. Um, Tim Burton's style was definitely there from a, from a visual standpoint. Uh, I've always appreciated that. So uh, that, was, that was there. Um, the music, Donnie Elfman, uh, brought his musical taste into it as well. But um, the, the film itself just really lost me on the performances. And so that was a, that was a big, big disappointment. So um, I'm giving it a C plus. Still, uh, still a film that uh, was worth watching, but uh, didn't hold up to what it could have held up to. Uh, Unbroken also in theaters now. Angelina Jolie brings uh, to the big screen uh, a true story, another true story of the life of a Louis Zamperini, who was uh, a um, an Olympic athlete who ended up uh, going into World War during World War II, uh, shot down, survived. Uh, on the open ocean for over a month, and then was put in a prison camp um, in Japan for uh, for a number of years and survived. And uh, this film uh, is based on a best-selling book, a New York Times bestseller book, for four years. Um, Adam, I read this book, and it's one of the best books I have ever read in my life. I mean, that's that's how good this book is. And when I heard they were making it into a film, I said, there, there's no way that they can make this into a film uh, they're going to have to pick um, a section of this book. And that's exactly what, what they did. Um, they really focused more on the war years and the uh, survival in a prison camp more than anything else. The book itself gives a lot of backstory, also gives a lot of post-story um, as well. And, um, and each of those are fascinating in themselves. So um, I will say that the story that was able to be captured on film was done well. Um, there was much more that I think they could have added, and I think there are even a few scenes that uh, that could have been added to make the movie even more powerful. But uh, that's, of course, the direction of um, under the direction of the director and uh, Angelina Jolie. I guess was limited on what she could do with that. Uh, co-written uh, this the screenplay, co-written by the Coen Brothers. Um, Unbroken uh, in theaters now. Uh, the set designs were were wonderful. Costuming was wonderful, uh, and uh, it's a very brutal film 
but the book is even more brutal. Um, and when you're talking about wartime, you're talking about prison camps, you're talking about torture, uh, you can imagine uh, what goes along with that. Uh, Jack O'Connell uh, is amazing uh, in this film as far as an acting standpoint. Uh, a lot of relatively unknown names in this film. Um, I got a chance to, uh, to screen this with uh, film critic students, and uh, they typically are, are not uh, going out and viewing these kind of films on their own, and uh, each of them gave this uh, a solid A. I gave it an A-, minus, um, but it's, uh, it is the type of epic biopic that you would expect this time of year, so unbroken uh, A- minus for me. Well, Adam, uh, we've, we've gone through some movies today, man. You, you have any, uh, any final thoughts, final comments? Uh, not that I can, not, not any that spring readily to mind. All right, buddy. Well, there's a, there's a lot to see in, uh, in the next few weeks. We'll definitely be talking more award contenders and spotlighting some of those as well on future shows right here on Cinema Scene on Gardner Web University Radio, WGWG.org. Uh, you can always check us out online. You can also download our app and uh, check out our archive shows as well. Adam, appreciate it, buddy. Happy New Year to you. And, Happy uh, New Year to you too, my friend. And uh, as always, enjoy talking movies, and we'll talk next time. And um, have a great one. Till next time, that's a wrap.